It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Levin, and Thomas Anderson. So, guys, how is it going today? All right. Yeah, pretty good. Watching watching the refs wear blindfolds in the Chiefs-Browns games, just great, you know. <laughs> Seems to always happen. All right, well... Uh, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but technically it's not actually his birthday because of the way that calendars work. But today is Mark Messier's birthday, obviously one of the greatest hockey players ever. And when we think of Mark Messier, we think of 1994 and ending the curse in 1940 and everything like that. But he did have an amazing career with the Oilers, and he really was better there than he was with the Rangers. So, of these amazing players who had great careers with their first team and then got traded to other teams where they also kind of became the face of the franchise, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade? First up, there's Mike Piazza, who was the face of the Dodgers for seven years. Extend. And, and then he came to the Mets for <laughs> eight. He was a six-time All-Star, a Silver Slugger, and an MVP candidate. Next is Gary Carter, 
who was the face of the Expos for 12 years, and then he came to the Mets for five, and he was a four-time All-Star, Silver Slugger, and MVP candidate. And finally, we have Carlos Beltran, who I don't know if I would say was the face of the Royals necessarily, but obviously he was one of the better players that they had. And then he became associated with the Astros in that really uh, crazy postseason run that he had with them in 2004. But then he came to the Mets for seven years, and he was a five-time All-Star, Gold Glover, Silver Slugger, and MVP candidate. So Ken is already in the extend my Piazza boat. Yes. And I can't, uh, you know, I can't disagree, I guess. Oh, I'm going to be sacrilegious and say extend Beltron instead, but okay. I, I, I mean, don't have Piazza is just kind of like one of my favorite players of all time. He's like my first favorite player, so. That's fair. That's why I chose that. Uh, the other two were pretty hard for me, but I, I think I'm going to go uh, promote Beltron, trade Carter, just because I, I never saw Carter play beyond, like, video and stuff. Um, so I think I'm going to – yeah, I guess I'm going to extend Beltron because that was the first time I was really into baseball was that – 2006 run. I was too young to really appreciate the 99 and 2000 Mets too much. Um, I'm going to make it even worse now, too. I'm going to promote Carter because he at least won and Piazza, they never did. So to me, oh, that's man. that's the trade. Oh, boy. I'm going to... Oh, uh, man. Ooh. I just want to check the, the, the war real quick. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I enjoy good catchers, but I'm top tier center fielders are like my favorite. Player. Can't argue. I mean, Beltran was of all these guys. You know, Piazza was with the Mets for eight years. Piazza was, I mean, um, Beltran was seven, so he did have the second longest tenure of all these guys. Um, and obviously, you know, everyone here is a Silver Slugger and MVP candidate, but Beltran is the only one that's also a Gold Glover. My biggest knock against Beltran is he was never the face of the Mets. Um, True. That was, that was David Wright. Like, no matter what, Beltran was never, he would never reach that, that pedestal. Mm, and you could, you could argue maybe in like 2005, 2006, before Wright yeah, really kind of came into like prominence. And... There was like the whole, you know, the whole Carlos and Carlos thing that they had with mm-hmm. him and Carlos Delgado. But I definitely will agree that he was never really in the forefront for too, too long. Yeah, it became Wright's team very quickly, where even with Carter, like, he was probably the captain of the 80s teams, but, like, Keith is, Keith and Ron are literally the Mets announcers, and they were, like, of course, Carter, like, he passed away, so, like, he didn't really get a chance, but also he's an expo. Like, I don't consider Carter a Met. Um, yeah, same, same. I, I consider Carter an expo. Piazza is not a Dodger, and, like, Piazza's a New No, Yorker. obviously he's a Marlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, if he's, he's an Oakland A if he's anything. Uggle is considered him a Padre, so. <laughs> <laughs> he was good with the Padres, that the one aberrant year. I but remember like, I saw him when he was at the Padres. It was pretty crazy. yeah. Did anyone just, check the war there? Who who, who was actually the best? Uh, so I mean, Carter Carter was. Uh, let's see. 
Uh, this is all F4. Uh, Carter uh, was the best by F4, 69. Nice. 69.4. Beltron, number two, 67.9. And then Piazza, 363.7. And ca- War is also weird for catchers because defense. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yeah. Let's see. Piazza, 7,745 games. They're all, it's honestly not, not that big of a spread. Like, no, very tight. If it, if it was like a 20 war gap, I'd be like, okay, this dude is obviously better, but they're all pretty close, so. I don't know, I just loved Carlos Beltran. Well, yeah, it's even closer if you look at, like, per plate appearance, because Piazza had by far the fewest plate appearances out of the three, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot closer on the field, but. To me, I think the off the field stuff is clearly. I think Piazza is clearly the, the guy for that. Like he was, he like a, a, everyone talks about like the whole outlier stuff was like the Mets were like good and then they got Piazza and they realized that they were they could be great and like I feel like we could have this conversation about Lindor in ten years if he does extend. Like if Pete and Conforto stick around, like Lindor is going to be the face of the team even though he wasn't homegrown, and I think it's a similar situation to that. Like, if we're hoping onto the future here. But, like, that's how I think of it. Like, Piazza kind of revitalized the Mets where Beltran came and helped and then immediately became second fiddle to David Wright. And Carter was a good player, but he was past his prime by the time. Carter, I'm also looking at at fan graphs right now, only had two good seasons with the Mets, really. Yeah, like, he's pretty... He's the most overrated guy, like, ever. Yeah, like, I don't... He's an great expo. player, obvious Hall of Famer, but uh, he was an 140 expo. WRC plus um, in 1985, 115 in 1986, and then was well below average every other year he's with the Mets. So I'm, I'm sure there's also rightly or wrong, I would argue wrongly, like Beltron did so many great things for the Mets, but everyone's just going to remember him standing there with the bat on his shoulder in, in Game Seven. Kind of a tangent. I just remember being, um, I don't know, maybe like 13 in 2000. Well, he came over in 2005. Uh-huh. And I, that was like the big, the coolest thing ever for, for like young preteen Kenny. It's like, oh my God, how did we get Carlos Beltran? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. With a lot of money. A lot of money. Well, not even, not not in today's. Not I mean, in today's, well, well, somebody, yeah. some some clown paid him based on uh, what he was and not what he was going to. Oh, uh, here we go. Again. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> oh, the days of the snake bitten Mets. And then he got a Zach Wheeler, which, who was one of my favorite pitchers for the last couple of years. Like he's always been fun, so I'm I'm here for it. And then Zach Wheeler got us Isaiah Green. And Isaiah Green. So got Carlos us Francisco Beltran Lindor. got us Francisco Lindor. Uh, <laughs> argument over. Yep. Huh. You heard it here, for, here first. Yeah, that definitely changes things. This is like that weird uh, uh, line you can take from David Wright back to like Matlack or whatever, right? I forget what, what, how yeah, that one was, works um, exactly. Yeah. Basically, all, all baseball players are basically like two degrees of separation from each other. There's like a mitochondrial eve somewhere. Yeah. You can trace David right back to like Ty Cobb if you try. <laughs> All right. Um, so 
normally this is a discussion that we have over the summer, but coronavirus has obviously fucked up a lot of shit. And one of the things that it fucked up was the international free agent signing period. Normally that is July 2nd, but this year it started on July 15th, a couple of days ago. And at least, uh, you know, I have a complaint about this, you know. Yeah, sure. It was July 2nd, so it always called it J2. Why couldn't we have at least kept it January 2nd and still had it J2? Like, come on, people. It's a good who, point. Who, who's in charge of this? I wish to register a complaint. <laughs> they could have done, done January 20th and called it J20. Now, there you go. Come J2. on. J2.0. Yeah, there it is. J2, that, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it. better. That's better than mine, yes. It's actually something. Animal, at MLB front office, hire Thomas for a marketing <laughs> immediately. Do it. You won't. <laughs> I it's actually you. something that we kind of like have to keep in mind if they don't keep it and they go back to January, July 2nd, like next year, because I know what I'm just kind of glancing through pages. If I see July 2nd on the guy, I'm just like, okay, so he was probably somebody. And no. basically any other date, you know, the, the further you are from July 2nd, the less important this guy probably was. Uh, not the case with these guys. So, you know, like four years from now, when we're just kind of quickly glancing the pages and we see, okay, this dude just signed in July 15th, I'm going to think like, oh, he's a nobody. But in reality, you know, these guys are not uh, necessarily nobodies. Not the ones, not the ones that other teams signed anyway. The it's, an, it's an especially, uh, irrelevant point when you consider that these guys have had contracts quote unquote signed for like two and a half years if not longer so if they had contracts that would be illegal yeah oh oh, (laughs) let me hold on i gotta delete my crimes.xls real quick i hope you turned off your wi-fi too because they'll find you shit Uh uh-huh did you hear that google (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah anyway so ben badler um, intrepid baseball America reporter. He, he reported a while ago that the Mets weren't going to be, uh, big spenders in the J 2.0 market. And sure enough, they weren't. Uh, the strategy this year was basically to spread the money around and give out a bunch of small to moderate sized bonuses rather than going with one or two big players. And they had about $5.3 million to work with. And as of Two days from the start of the, the international signing period, they spent a minimum of $2.4 million in bonus with all the financial details that have been made public. And definitely they spent more than that because you need to also factor in all of the financial details that haven't been made public yet that'll slowly trickle in. So, so far, the highest bonus they've given to anybody has been to a Dominican outfielder named Yohairo Cuervas, and he got $500,000. And then all the other players who are who have gotten bonuses that have been publicly announced, they're all between $150,000 and $400,000 so far. Um, honestly, I am not a fan of this strategy. Um, what do you guys... What do you... I've I feel like we've actually they had this discussion before. Go ahead, Lucas. No, no, it's a, I mean, this is like the Sandy special, isn't it? This is what he used to do when he was. I mean, not really. Ahmed Rosario, he spent two years. Isn't this Brody's class, though, if they all agreed two years ago? Yeah, technically it would be uh, a Brody. Like, like, if anything, the Mets have done well in recent years at the top end of the market. Think like Jimenez, Mauricio, Alvarez. 
Mm-hmm. Like, Basically. I wonder how a new front office deals with this because, like, these these deals were already agreed to, like, quote unquote, like. So, I wonder if, like, even if Sandy doesn't like these players or like would do something differently, he his hands are tied. Well, I mean, that's the the ultimate problem is that his hands are not tied. I mean, yes. people, a lot of people get hung up in the the the. I don't know what the right word would be. The ethics of giving contracts to 16-year-old people, players, kids. I'm not hung up on that part so much. I really don't care about their age, but it's the fact that they're not getting contracts is what the problem is. Because the day before, you could just say to some kid, like, oh, yeah, we've been stringing you along for two years, and we're deciding to go in a separate direction. We're sorry that you're screwed, but sorry. You know? Like, there's no protection for them. Which is my bigger thing than their exact age, which is a problem in and of itself as well, but, but, um, yeah, I mean. Sorry, this wasn't the Sandy strategy. I think we talked about this as Brody's strategy as a complement to his draft strategy, right? Where, hey, we're punting a bunch of picks in the draft, right? And in order to sign like one or two big guys at the top, so we're going to do the opposite in the IFA market and just spread it out. Basically, what the strategy was the last couple of years, let's go back to 2017. They go mm-hmm. with one big guy in 2017. It was Ronnie Mauricio, who got 2.1 million in 2018. Yeah, it was Francisco Alvarez, too. who got like 2.7. Two million dollar guys. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of lower ticket guys like Mauricio. Uh, that was the same year Hernandez, I think, was signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back a little farther, it was Jimenez and Guerrero. Twenty fifteen, um, that was. Yeah, and then Alvarez and Freddy Valdez, and uh, I think there was only one in twenty nineteen. I think it was just Ramirez. Yeah, correct. Basically, the last time the Mets have done this kind of strategy where they're really not giving any bonuses over let's say 500 which i'm just going to make an assumption i mean they could go out and you know give some dude two million dollars you know next week we don't know about but uh last time they they spread the money around this equally is during the 2016 the 2017 ifa period um that class was not particularly uh, impressive. That was also a very weird class because that was the year, if memory serves, that uh, Boston busted their pool, the Padres busted their pool, and a few other guys uh, just really went like ape shit in the yep. international market. And uh, so, like, I, I didn't really have a problem at the time with sitting it out because all the prices were super inflated. That because, year, like, four teams were just throwing around money. Mm-hmm. I think it was also the Yankees, or they might have gone the year before. But that year, Sebastian Espino, shortstop, got the highest bonus, $300,000. He was kind of like a a high floor, low ceiling shortstop, and, you know, he got picked up in Rule 5 draft, so he's not here anymore, so, you know, don't know if that's going to end up being, yeah, good or bad. Uh, the next highest bonus was third baseman Jose Peroza. He got a $280,000 bonus. <laughs> and he's kind of like a bootleg version of Wilmer Flores. He's like a <laughs> okay power over hit, but no defensive value. He's like absurdly tiny, right? Um, 
I wouldn't say he's no. I mean, he's not like Louis Santana tiny, but he's not particularly big. He's like built, chunky, like five Um, five nine maybe. No, 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 bigger than that. Okay. Louis Santana. Louis Santana is quote unquote five nine, but Louis Santana is like five five. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. Outfielder Ezekiel Pena, he got a $200,000 bonus, and he's been released. Um, the aforementioned Luis Santana, he got a $200,000 uh, bonus in that draft class. First baseman Wilmy Valdez, he got 180000 He was released. Uh, Giancarlo Soto, 150000 And I don't really know what his status is. He hasn't played in two years, but he is technically active, so... Regardless, though, he was never really, like, a guy or anything like that. Um, Wilfred Estudillo, he got 150000 He was interesting, and now he's part of the Reds organization, so, oh, well. Um, shortstop Alexis Marquez got 135000 He was released. Catcher Alejandro Medina, he got 115000 He was released. Basically, the two most interesting guys are the guys that got the least amount of money. Dyson Acosta and Michael Otanias, who got less than a hundred thousand dollars. You add them up, and they basically you add them up seventy thousand and thirty five thousand, and it's a hundred thousand. You know, so quick maths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it goes to show that there is not necessarily a correlation between uh, the amount of money that a guy gets and then their uh, career trajectory or whatever you want to call it, but. You know, Ronnie Mariso, he got the money, and he's currently yeah. a number one prospect. Francisco yeah, Alvarez, market, you know. yeah, like, you pay for the tools, and there is definitely a certain threshold where there, I would say, you know, it, it pays. It's it's more effective, I guess, to go out and spend big on, on at least one guy who has those tools. And then if you want to go out crazy and get those lottery ticket guys and call it a day cool, but that's probably what I would do is get one top guy and then spread the rest of it out. Unless you could finagle too, but I don't, I don't have a particular hot take on either path, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'd be mad. I I generally prefer to get um, the elite players, you know? See, I think that I would generally agree. Like, Give me the elite guy in the draft. Give me the elite guy in free agency, whatever. I think that these guys are so far off, though, and the your the information you're working on is usually either so non-existent or just poor. I think there's an argument for quantity over quality. It's I like mean, you're well, signing dudes at 16. Very important, you know, like um. Yeah, you you could you know Franklin Barreto got the same amount of money as as some of these guys like um you know it doesn't look like he's going to be much but you know when you hit on a guy like that the, the but there are plenty of guys there higher. are plenty of guys who've been hit on uh, uh, that came out wrong no. uh, <laughs> plenty of the cheaper guys who 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 click and and, and still wind up as top prospects I'm. Trying to rack my head for a good example right now, but and Rafael Montero is always the go-to. Yeah. Henry Mejia. I mean, if you look outside of the Mets organization, Sixto Sanchez was. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I don't know, like a 50k sign. 
wasn't Gary Sanchez cheap? My point is there's a limited amount of guys uh, at the high end of the market that you have relatively good information on, you know? My take is that the information on them isn't that good. And then you can also sign an unlimited amount of these lower guys because they're all so cheap relative to everybody else. I I think that um, someone who we will talk about in a little bit is a good example of this, Robert Dominguez. He was signed for... 90,000, I think, and he was generally thought of as an afterthought because at the time when most scouts were looking at, at him and, and other players of his age, he was kind of, you know, throwing a, a nondescript high 80s, low 90s fastball. And then you fast forward a few months and he's, I don't know if he grew or not, but whatever he did, and all of a sudden now his fastball is sitting mid 90s, touching upper 90s, and that's a very, very different player. But yeah. because he was an afterthought at the time, you know, a lot of teams spent money. They didn't have money left, whatever the case. And he gets, you know, relatively uh, small signing bonus relative to, you know, his, his talent level and, and and everything else. But, you know, so scouting is especially important. Obviously, scouting kids this young, you know, 16 and younger has presents major pitfalls and issues in and of itself. Well, yeah, the randomness ex- factor by, like, double from the draft. Mm-hmm. Because it's just, I would have no clue how you could figure out someone's potential 10 years later. Like, I, I, Here's a good example, right? Like, if you look at the 2016 signing class, um, Obviously, Kevin Maiton is at the top, and that that's like a historically like there's a whole bunch of stuff that went wrong there. Braves, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Right. So let's skip past him. Uh, I'm gonna skip the Cuban guys too because that's a different market unto itself. Mm-hmm. Luis Alm Almanzar, Jesus, I can't read. Four million. Uh, not a real notable prospect right now. Lazarito Armenteros is, oh, that's another Cuban guy. Gabriel Rios just got traded last year. He's a pretty good prospect. Alfredo Rodriguez, another Cuban guy. Luis Garcia is a good, pretty good prospect for the Nationals. He got 1.3 million. There's a point being, there's a whole list of guys. I'm just going off like MLB's top 30. All these guys got 800,000 or higher. Plenty of them got 3 million or more. Um, the best player in this class is probably Luis Patino who got 130,000. I think even at the top end of this, the IFA market, the, the, your, your information is so inherently bad and not, not even just bad, but irrelevant to the ultimate. Cause like there's this ton of shit that happens to players between 16 and Seven, 16 and 17 things can change drastically. Between 16 and 20 things can change drastically. A dude could grow six inches like in two months because that's what happens. Yep, that is literally what happened at Jalen Palmer. Yeah, exactly. So I, 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 this, this is just my gut feeling. Um, I think I'd prefer quantity over quality, uh, approach to the IFA market. Um, that being said, though, if you see, like, present skills, you know, um, like, presently developed skills, like, Ronnie Mauricio has a very good arm, you know? Sure. Ronnie Mauricio um, is already very tall and already has a pretty good swing. Um, I don't mind 
taking a big bet on something like that where you have skills already in place and um it's just about refinement you know mm-hmm. yeah and those are the things that drive the cost up you have a kid who has an arm already okay that's gonna you know that's x yeah, amount like of dollars Alvarez, you know like he's he's a, the bat speed's already there yeah <laughs> like well here here's my here's my like i don't have a definitive counter argument i'm just trying to to play the devil's advocate here Mm-hmm. Yeah, I no, think a lot of the skills is, you wind up it seeing depends on the player. Sure, but also I think a lot of the skills you wind up seeing are speed, arm strength, ultimately defensive skills. Which is why I feel like a lot of these guys, every the 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 two word scouting quote unquote scouting report on half of these guys is sure-handed shortstop mm-hmm. needs to develop offensively. So if you if you're just paying for defensive skills in a league that maybe devalues defense a little too much, but to a certain, like, I think it's been pretty reasonably demonstrated at this point that defense just isn't as important as everything else. So why are you paying a premium for defensive skills uh, when the offensive skills are, are so hard to recognize? Like, you can see bat speed, yeah, but then, like, are you going to have any ability to recognize spin, do bat to ball, et cetera, et cetera? It is an interesting way of looking at it. I think it's more, instead of saying you're paying for defense, I think it's almost saying like you're paying for, for floor. Like the guys. Uh, yeah, that's what it is, I think. I would yeah. argue you're paying for athletic ability, you know? Paying for athletic ability in a sport where athletic ability is less you, important. You need I don't want... some, you know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you, you don't want to be muscles. Seth Beer, obviously, but <laughs> paying for athletic ability in a world where Pablo Sandoval has like three World Series rings. <laughs> he's good at athletic actions. He's just not athletic. <laughs> uh, don't disparage Panda. I apologize. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus um well before we get to our you know the, the meat and potatoes here uh the, the top prospect list um and we are just talking about international baseball right before you know the break here um there's a little winter league news la liga baseball professional roberto clemente the puerto rican winter league they just concluded their regular season they're in the playoffs now and last week the puerto rican committee of sports journalists unanimously selected the 2020 to 2021 mvp and that individual Lucas will be very happy, is Janushui Fargus. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> the Farg. 
How many bases did he steal? Do we know? Uh, All he, he, yeah, he, he appeared in 16 games in total for Los Criollos de Caguas, and he hit 349, 434, 635 with four homers, seven stolen bases in 10 tries, and six walks to 17 strikeouts. That actually wasn't as extreme as I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, seventy percent success rate. Yeah, so that's sure. that's within the margin of actually uh, being an effective base dealer. So that's your guy. Uh, hey, if you give him a look in spring training. Yeah, I mean, look, look. If the Mets want to sign George Springer and then say and kind of punt on the backup center field position, I'm fine with giving Fargus a bench spot. That'll be fun. He's it'll be dumb fun, but it'll be yeah. fun. Don't or, sign Jackie Bradley Jr. and put Fargus on the bench, though. That, that'd that be bad. Yeah. Not Galaxy Brain, but Wilpron Brain would be not signing Springer and then making Fargus the center fielder. Make him the starting center fielder. Yes, yes. Yeah, who's like oh. a center fielder who's like 38 and clearly not good anymore? There's a lot <laughs> of that's the uh, guy. That's the guy they would sign and then make the backup Fargus. Ah, uh, yeah. Who's yeah. the oh. Kevin Pillar or something? Rajay Davis is extremely well yeah. <laughs> Rajay Davis was that guy. A yes. Ago, yes. <laughs> Let's see, scroll, 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 scroll. Center fielders. Uh, Has to be thirty-eight or older, Lucas. Brett Gardner's thirty-seven. Oh God, I always thought they that, were going to. That him. works. Yeah. I, th- I think you can yeah, fudge that. Former Yankee can handle New York. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. Grit. Kind of face. Plays <laughs> the game the right there. way. Oh. Kind of sucks. It, it it all fits. At Steve Cohen, Stephen A. Cohen too. Do not do this. <laughs> I say this is somebody who enjoyed Brett Gardner for years, but no. Yeah, not now. <laughs> not when not you need 20, a real center fielder. No, no. At Mets, sign George Springer. <laughs> yes. yes, please. All right, well, last week we were rudely interrupted by a major, possibly franchise-chasing trade, but things are back to normal this week. So we are resuming our 2021 Top 25 Prospects review. That is a tongue twister. I did not realize. Jeez. Mm-hmm. 2021 Top 25. Okay. So we reviewed 25 to 21 last time. Um, 25 was right-handed reliever Riley Gilliam. 24 was right-handed starter Jordani Ventura. 23 was catcher Andy Rodriguez. 22 was outfielder Stanley Consuegra. And 21 was outfielder Adrian Hernandez. So we're going to get, um, we're going to jump right back into things and pick up where we left off. And that is with number 20 on the list. And that is right-handed starting pitcher Sam McWilliams. And he literally wasn't in the organization like two months ago, and yet here he is on our top prospect list. So that, on one hand, shows how thin the Mets minor league system is, and on the other hand, it actually also shows like this is a, a pretty shrewd move, a pretty good move. Um, and obviously, his signing kind of got some press. Because he got um, a contract worth about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, despite never actually having pitched in the majors before, which is atypical. 
but basically he was um who was he drafted by he was drafted by the Phillies then he was traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for uh Jeremy Hellickson and he started blossoming in in Arizona um and by 2018 he was kind of like a borderline top prospect in their system then in May 2018 he was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays um and a year later he was selected by the Royals in the Rule 5 draft but they returned him back to uh Tampa Bay because he was pretty bad in spring training and you know uh after the 2020 season which is weird here he is but he's basically he's a big athletic guy big athletic pitcher 67 230 pounds so that's a kind of guy that can soak up a lot of innings um pretty simple delivery you know nothing no no major red flags or anything like that he has a, a low to mid 90s fastball really a low to mid 90s sinker and um he pairs that with a slider and a changeup, both of which kind of flash being average or better. Um the slider is the more consistent of the two, which is usually how these things go. Mm. Um and you know, really it's just about maintaining his command because he kind of can get a little I don't want to say wild at times, but you know, he's he's not a, a pinpoint control type of guy. He has your classic big picture problems. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, I mean, all things considered, it's for for less than a million dollars cash, no strings attached. Springs attached. <laughs> no strings attached. There's, uh, you know, that's a pretty good addition to the system. Yeah, this is something the old Mets would have never done. They would have never done something this smart. They would have seen this as a waste of $700,000. Yep. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> for sure. Mm. All right, next up. On the list is 19, and that is right-handed starter Dyson Acosta. And he was signed, as we were discussing before, as a international free agent for $70,000 in 2016. And he kind of came into his own at the end of the 2018 season when he was with Kingsport, and then um, the 2019 season when he was with Brooklyn and then Columbia. And he's uh, 22 now, um, which is a little less exciting than last year when he was 21, you know, but given this lost season and everything like that, um, he has a pretty effortless delivery and low 90s fastball, tops out about 94 or so. Uh, the, the, the story on him for a while now has been that he is kind of tall and lanky, so, you know, hey, he might put on some additional growth and that'll help the fastball and the durability and everything like that. It's been, that's been the story for like three years now. So, you know, and and of course he was kind of MIA last year, like everybody else. So maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But at this point, you know, he's 22 turning 23 next season. So just going to want to see some, you know, returns for lack of better word on, on that. Um, but in addition to the fastball, he has uh, a big, big breaking curveball. Um, very big fan of it. And then same thing, like basically everybody has a developing changeup that's kind of flashes being okay, but it needs to be thrown more. But overall, he is like we've kind of brought up 
two weeks ago with Jordani Ventura, the kind of prototypical starters build. That's what you have with Acosta. Uh, so one thing I particularly like about Acosta is I, I think um, he's got a pen fallback in a, in a way that a lot of other guys don't, um, simply because he's already got one very good secondary. Mm-hmm. So uh, if the velocity doesn't come in general, maybe it'll come in short bursts. I could see him being a pretty good reliever at some point. Yeah. I agree. It's he, He's at least someone to keep an eye on for that reason, like more so than yeah, other. He's got more of a big league future than a lot of these guys uh, in yeah. this general tier. I agree with that for sure. Like I wouldn't be surprised if they shift him to the pen for development reasons and he just – is solid. Yeah, and he's up at like twenty three and I wonder if uh the lost season I wonder I wonder how if this would be kind of a trend with a lot of these guys who lost a season due to COVID if a higher percentage of them get shifted to being relievers sooner because you know you lost that year of development time and that makes becoming a starter harder. But like you said, he definitely has a better chance here. Well there's also the fact that the the lower miners anyway have lost Two, two entire yeah. teams. So, you know, there's only five. You can only have five, six, maybe seven starters if you want to stretch it like real crazy on a team. So, a lot of guys that they're keeping that they can end up retaining, but, you know, might have been kind of like the fringy end of the rotation starter on, let's say, St. Lucie last year, if we had a season, might find themselves in the bullpen now just because there are better guys that need, you know, those starting reps. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. It's a very dog-eat-dog world, unfortunately, in baseball now. All right. Uh, number 18 on our prospect list is outfielder Alexander Ramirez. He was um, basically their top get in the 2019 and 2020 international uh, signing class, and they signed him for $2.05 million. And... He's never actually, you know, uh, <laughs> appeared in a professional game because of everything going on. But when he was signed, he was six foot three, 170 pounds. Um, maybe he's put on some good muscle. Hopefully he has. But there was a lot of potential with the bat. Um, he, he was showed line drive power. Um, and, a, and a really good understanding of the strike zone for somebody that was, you know, that age. So that's always a really good thing to see at someone that, from someone so young. Um, it at the time though, it really kind of only was line drive power. Um, but obviously he's very physical, you know, six foot three, 170 pounds. So that would suggest some some growth, and with growth usually comes in game power. And then defensively, he was a solid center fielder. Um, he had speed, tons of speed, plus speed. And that obviously lends itself to playing center field very well. But same thing, just very, very little professional experience. So one of those things that like, you know, you just want to see him get into games and learn how to be a center fielder as opposed to just kind of using his athleticism to wing it. He's pretty exciting for me. Yeah, he's he's someone who I could see um, with a full season and playing, like actually playing and stuff. 
could he be could a guy we can talk about a lot more highly of next years. year. What'd you say, Ken? He he could look a lot like uh, Ronnie Mauricio prospect yeah. guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he also had... might look a lot like Gregory Guerrero in a couple of years, but <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I, I I don't know. I, I think the uh, the the good path is <laughs> a little more likely. Yep, from the cut of his gym, you know. He has a lot of tools that I could see. Um, that like like a lot of what you described, Steve, is like good floor tools where like he'll at the very least keep going in the system and keep getting better and better each year. And if the rest of it develops and there's something, there's really something good there. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Nothing else we could really do. I mean, yeah, of course it's. It's just so hard to find like all of these guys we would have been talking about as guys we were excited to watch last year. Now it's like, yeah, well, we didn't see anything last year, so yeah. we're still excited. We still know nothing. Yeah, it was it was a it was a pretty weird um, thought experiment doing this list just because you have to factor in like, okay, this guy is another year older, and who still, knows what they still can do. know? Yeah, mm-hmm. like. Has he been playing Call of Duty for six months, or has he been like turning into a machine for six months? Uh, don't know. I guess we'll find out in spring training. Spring training Assuming... can be really fun for that. Like when everyone is finally there and playing again, we're gonna be like, oh, what? <laughs> There's at least gonna be three or four dudes who we're gonna be totally surprised by. So, some of them are gonna look like James Harden in Houston, and some of them are gonna look like James Harden in Brooklyn. <laughs> Next up on the list at 17 is right-handed pitcher Robert Dominguez, who we touched on before. Um, he was an international free agent in el- eligible to sign in 2018, but the stuff was just kind of, you know, eh, so he flew under the radar. And he had an additional year of physical growth and development and coaching and all that other kind of stuff. So the next year, when he was eligible to sign in 2019, all of a sudden he is, you know, a very different pitcher, and the Mets were able to snag him for a few thousand dollars, which is, according to many people more knowledgeable about this than me, the basically the biggest steal of the um, 2019, excuse me, the, the 2019 to 2020 international draft class. So I like to hear that the Mets were making good moves and getting the steals instead of the ones being ripped off and making stupid moves. It's a strange but, feeling as a Mets fan, you know? I know. It almost never happens. I know. But similar to um, Alexander Ramirez, he hasn't gotten into any actual uh, games yet, so we're just basically basing this on the reports prior to him signing, but you know, I'll he is really a, interested to see where his command is at with that fastball. Yeah, I mean a lot of guys can, it's can like throw we, really everything hard. Everything we heard with Michael Otanez and you know, it turns out that he can throw that hard because he has literally no idea where it's going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, oh, over the summer there's him. Over the summer I remember the Mets signed two guys, Sammy Tavares and uh, Richard Brito and everyone's like, oh my god, these guys can throw a hundred. That's awesome. It's like if you're two, you know, if, if these two guys are on the older side and they're signing in, you know, June, 
they're you know they're kind of leftovers. It doesn't matter that they can throw a hundred because there's obviously a reason why they were passed over beforehand. But you know, hopefully everything goes right with Dominguez. Um, he's a good frame for pitching, six four, two hundred pounds. So that's the kind of thing he could stay as a starter. Um, he throws a curve and a changeup. The curve flashes being average or better, and the changeup again. You know, it's still developing, so good prototypical right-handed starter build. Good base. And nowhere but up to go from there. And speaking of nowhere but up to go, the last guy on our list that we will discuss today is number 16, Harold Gonzalez. And he was a guy that has been around for forever, it seems. He was signed out. How many years a... in a row is this? Like, <laughs> but he has steadily, basically, gotten better and better and better every single year that he's been in the system. And I'm not saying that they're major improvements; they are kind of marginal improvements, but they are improvements nonetheless. Um, he was signed out of Dominican in 2014. And I guess he really put himself on the map in, you know, as as a guy in 2015 with Kingsport and then, like, as a guy with a capital G in Brooklyn <laughs> the next year. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, with the exception of his, let's see, what year was it? 20... 18 season when he went to the Brumble Ponies midseason and he was just terrible, you know, with a 779 ERA. With the exception of that, he's been okay to good at every stop that he's made at, at, at up over the minor league ladder. And he's just one of those guys that like the, the, Margin of error is so, so, so extremely thin, but he's made it to the top and he's knocking on the door of the major leagues. I really hope this is the year he gets there. Yep. I mean, on the one hand, you hope they sign enough starting pitching that Harold never gets a start. On the other hand, let Harold start. Yeah. Yeah, at some point I want to see him make the majors. I'm kind of afraid just because, you know, fastball just kind of sits around 90 if you're lucky. And if he's really feeling good, maybe he rears back and throws 91, you know, but. It doesn't need to be pretty, Steve. I just want him to get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I agree. I think let, it'll be- let him start the uh, hangover de- game the day after they clinch the NL East, you know? Wow. Ah, yes. I like that. Sunday lineup, of course. But basically, you know, not a great fastball, a bunch of secondary pitches, uh, curve, slider, changeup, nothing jumps out at you, but they're all like solid pitches. And, you know, he's a a guy that is just the sum of the parts is better than any individual part. And I feel like we all wax poetic about Harold just because, you know, He's been around so long and just everything about him. He's a friend of the pod. Of course. Him and And it's a a great story. Like, come on the show. Dudes like that normally don't get that far. 
Yeah. yeah. That's also, you know, this is, this is a major league environment where if you're not throwing, let's say 95, 96, you're just kind of scoffed at. So. Yeah. He's, he's a rarity in today's game, even in the minor league level, because sure, sure. like you said, the Mets were signing dudes who were like 17 <laughs> throwing a hundred. <laughs> like it's people don't throw that soft anymore. And have any type of success at the professional level, not even discounting the major league level because that's a whole different story. But like it's and he's good in the minors. Like he's good every year, and that's it's wild that he's good every year and it's awesome. Yeah, I mean you could expect okay, Brooklyn obviously like every pitcher in creation has been good in Brooklyn, but and the the, the places that the Mets have had you know their teams. Um, Columbia, I think he was, I think he, yes, he was still around, I think, when, um, Savannah was in the, yeah, the system. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Savannah, Columbia, St. Lucie, they all kind of skew towards, you know, pitching. Um, I think Binghamton really is like first point in which, it. yeah, it, I think it slightly favors hitters, but not overly much. And then obviously, uh, Las Vegas and, Last season, Syracuse with the International League ball helps favors hitters a lot, but he's, you know, he's looked sharp against hitters, so. I, mean, I, I really wish that the time to give him in, getting him in the majors was last year. Yes. I don't know mm-hmm. why he never got a chance. Um, It'll happen. Because Ariel Jurado needed to be... Right, we needed we need to get trade... Uh, yes. uh, <laughs> get him going. <laughs> Got to trade other podcast interests, uh, uh, Stephen Valines, for a bad starting pitcher instead of just using the possibly better starting pitcher already and, in the org. And then DFA him in December? Uh, yep. <laughs> Guys, it's so Mets. It's just so Mets. <laughs> it's... The old Mets can't hurt us anymore. Exactly. We Jeff have friends Francisco Lindor. Jeff Wilpon is real. He can't hurt you. Guys. <laughs> we have Francisco Lindor now. That is very true. Straight, I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I'm like the Wolverine meme, gently stroking a picture of Stephen, yeah. like hold, cheerfully <laughs> holding a picture of Stephen Valance. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I guess that uh, that segues nicely to our closing segment, the Will Pondery of the Week, because we all know how deep the Will Pondery hurts us all. Uh-huh. So I think that easily, and I think this is almost a textbook definition of Will Pondery, I think it goes to Joe Biden, who basically expressly campaigned uh, during the yep. special elections in Georgia for $2,000 stimulus checks, and now he's changing his tune and saying... No, I almost meant $1,400 stimulus checks because the $600 ones that you got a couple of months ago and $1,400 equals 2000 That literally sounds like something that the Wilpons would say. I mean, that's that, what they did for years. That, that so. literally is what they did. <laughs> what? You said you wanted a first baseman. You didn't say he had to be good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is that, the political equivalent of like a returning player who is injured is just exactly. like getting a draft. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, a our trade. Big, our, yep. it was Zach Wheeler is our big midseason addition or whatever <laughs> yeah. the line is. Jed Lowry is the is the big uh, trade. Ah, the, there it is. Trade deadline mm. acquisition. Oh, Jed Lowry. 
Jed Lowry is a $1,400 check. He's a many of He got many of those for doing that much. <sighs> Fucking Will Pons. Uh, how, how long will it take the fan base to cut, recover from the mental trauma of two decades oh, of Will Pondery? Never. It'll never happen. <laughs> no. Yeah. How much therapy do we have to pay for <laughs> to work through this? <laughs> In Just like how... Who is it? Yeah, that, that thought. <laughs> that thought did hey, hey, that is gone. Yeah, <laughs> but basically, in like fifty years, we're all gonna be, you know, saying to our, our grandchildren, gonna come sitting on our lap, and it's like, let me tell you a story about the Wilpons, <laughs> about those putzes. Yeah, better yet, in, in, it will be around a campfire telling horror stories. Let me tell you about when the Wilpons owned the Mets. <laughs> it was this fella. <laughs> Yikes! Now it's bothering me. What the hell is his name? Donald Grant, not I, – I kept thinking Frank Cashin, but no, I'm Donald Grant. The same way how, you know, Mets fans of a certain age are scarred by him and the whole Tom Seaver trade. We are, are a generation that's scarred by just inept Wilpon ownership. Yep. All right, well, <clears throat> if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvalahus343. Ken is at KenLavin91. And Thomas is at said Metzizen SZN. Subscribe to the podcast where you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week with the next part of our prospectless countdown. So until then, love the Mets. Both the notes.